Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Well, it doesn't feel like it. (laughs) Here in the cold, windy Mojave Desert, but spring is on its way. Now, I know that uh, I've got a relatively mild situation here compared to many of you around the world and in many parts of the United States in particular. And we have had rain recently, for which I am very grateful. But this program is inspired by the realization that spring is, in fact, on its way. February 2nd, was the Celtic Cross Quarter Day, known as the Imbolc, or also Candlemas. And this is a time to honor the goddess Brigitte, who was the keeper of the Holy Well and Sacred Flame, patroness of poets, and all with the urge to create. It's a time to rekindle your inner fire in anticipation of rebirth, and the springing forth of all of the seeds that we have planted. Turning to more mainstream American culture, in secular terms, we call February 2nd Groundhog Day. And this reminds me of one of my favorite movies with Bill Murray called Groundhog Day. If you know the movie, you remember that he was somehow trapped in a time loop that kept him repeating and reliving the same day over and over again, and this happened to be Groundhog Day. (laughs) He's the only one in the story who's having this experience, and the repetition provides him the opportunity to see more deeply into his experience, to learn from his mistakes. And he's changed in a way that results in a really profound change of outcome for everyone involved, the blossoming of love, community, and gratitude. Now, yes, the storyline is somewhat obvious, almost cliche, and yet we do say tomorrow is another day, right? Meaning this too shall pass, and also that each new day brings a fresh start, a chance to do better to get further, or to go deeper. And thank the goddess, right? Because we live within layers and layers of repeating patterns and cycles. And awareness of this and sensitivity to the changing seasons in particular offers us the opportunity to make something beautiful, useful, meaningful, more honest with each day and each journey around the sun to move deeper into the mystery that surrounds and sustains us. The story that I have for you today has communicated all of this and much more to people for centuries. It's the Greek myth of the great mother Demeter, goddess of the plants and grains, of the fertile earth that provides food and everything else to all life, and her daughter Persephone. The best-known version of this story is found in the Homeric Hymn to Demeter, from the 7th century BCE, but these goddesses and their stories are, of course, much older. 
In the ancient Greek world, Demeter and Persephone were called the protectors of women. And many who sat with this story through the millennia feel that it says a great deal about women's experience and the suffering of women under patriarchy. It also says a lot about the love between women and the particular power of the bond between mothers and daughters. This myth may offer you some good food for thought in this regard, but the myth and this mother-daughter pair were not revered by women alone. To state the obvious, all men also have mothers (laughs) and also depend on the earth. This personification is not tied to a gender. Further, Demeter and Persephone and this story were the basis for one of the greatest mystery cults in Western history, the Eleusinian Mysteries, named after the Greek city of Eleusis, where the rites were conducted. The name Eleusis translates as place of happy arrival, and tens of thousands of men and women made the journey to Eleusis to be initiated into the truth and thereby lose all fear of death, to grasp the spiritual meaning of our concrete material existence. It's estimated that these rites were performed as often as monthly for close to 2,000 years, and the possession of these rites made Greece the center of the Panhellenic world. The details of what took place were a very closely held secret, held secret on pain of death. So we know very little about what transpired there, but the myth provides some clues about the insights that the initiates gained. Now I have one final comment before we get to the story, and that is that Demeter herself was the first initiate into the mysteries this story contains. So with that little kernel in mind, I invite you to relax and listen and pay attention to the details or the moments that catch your attention. Let them be your portal into this myth in your life right now. The Greek myth of Demeter and Persephone. The great goddess Demeter, sister of Zeus, had no particular need for men or gods. She was pursued, some say, by her brother Poseidon, and she tried to resist his advances by turning herself into a mare. But Poseidon, alas, turned himself into a stallion and mounted her against her will. Others say that it was Zeus who forced her by turning himself into a bull while she was a cow. And yet others say that Demeter longed for a child and seduced her brother Zeus in order to gain one. However it came about, thus was Persephone conceived. Demeter kept her daughter to herself. She had no need of men, and so therefore gave Persephone no ready access to father. Persephone was raised in a world of women, and the two of them had little need for Mount Olympus and the drama there. Their close and loving bond was so strong that it was known by all, and it was enough to sustain them both. One day, when Persephone had grown, she was out with some friends gathering flowers. 
There were so many beautiful flowers blooming that they wandered further and further away from home, filling up their arms with beautiful blossoms, until they came to the Nicene Plains, the lands of the wine god Dionysus, who dissolves all boundaries. As it turns out, Hades, the god of the underworld, was quite aware of the lovely Persephone, and he asked Gaia, the primal Mother Earth, for her aid. This Gaia offered by pushing up a gorgeous white flower, pure as a lily, sweet-smelling. This is a bloom we now call the Narcissus, and Persephone alone saw it. She called out to her friends, but they were too far away to hear her, and then bent down to pluck it. As she stood there, clasping this beautiful flower to her breast, holding it under her nose, the ground began to shake, and a great chasm opened up at her feet. Hades, the god of the underworld, appeared from the shadows in his golden chariot, drawn by four black stallions. He grabbed her before she fell into the abyss and gripped her tightly under one arm. But this was not a rescue. This was an abduction. She screamed and cried and beat at him with her fists, but he galloped on and drove the horses and the chariot across the earth, ignoring her pleas to let her go and dropped back down into the underworld in a place marked by a fig tree. They descended into the earth, which closed up behind them, and Persephone was gone. There were three who heard her cries for help. One was the goddess Hecate, goddess of the crossroads, who guided souls from the above world to the underworld. Hecate was sitting below in her dark cave, and she recognized the sounds of distress and the voice of Persephone, but she didn't see what happened. The second was Helios, the sun, who was high in the sky and looked down from his golden chariot. He saw it all. He observed the abduction. The third was Demeter, Persephone's mother, who, like any mother, always had one ear cocked to catch the sounds of her child. She immediately understood that something was dreadfully wrong and leapt up from her work, pulled on her cloak, and sped off like a wild bird over the land, a bitter pain in her heart, in search of her beloved daughter. Alas, she did not find her. For nine days, Demeter wandered over the earth with two burning torches in her hands. During this time, she did not eat or drink or bathe or comb her hair. And at dawn of the tenth day, Hecate came and met her. She said, My dear Queen Mother Demeter, bringer of all good gifts, what has happened to Persephone? And who has taken her away? I heard her cries, but I swear I didn't see what happened. Well, these words gave Demeter an idea, who, of course, would have seen. She immediately went to Helios, because he sees all, and demanded that he tell her all that he knew of her daughter. 
Who has taken her, against her will and mine, she asked. And Helios said, Well, Demeter, I can see that you're quite upset, and I do know what happened to Persephone. Hades, her uncle, is apparently in love with the girl. He came up from a great chasm in the earth, grabbed her and took her in his chariot back down to the underworld. Demeter cursed and wailed at this news because Persephone in the underworld, well, that was a place that no one else could go. As long as Persephone was down there, she would never see her daughter again. But of course, she was Demeter, the great mother goddess. So she stormed off to Mount Olympus to talk to Zeus. Zeus was the king, so to speak, of the Olympian gods and in charge of everything. So Demeter went to Zeus and said, Excuse me, but Hades has stolen Persephone. He has taken my daughter against her will and against mine without permission. You must tell Hades to bring Persephone back. And Zeus listened patiently. And then he said, Well, my dear Demeter, the fact of the matter is that Persephone needs a husband. This is the natural order of things. And my brother Hades loves the girl. He came to me for permission, and I gave it. She could do much worse, you know. Hades has a realm as wealthy down there below as mine is up here above. Well, Demeter didn't see this logic at all. Excuse me, but this is my daughter. No one consulted me. And now she is gone. She is gone forever. She is my only child, my beloved daughter. We will not be separated forever. But no matter what Demeter tried to say or how she tried to explain the situation to Zeus, it fell on deaf ears. Now she was full of grief and she was terribly angry. She turned on her heels and left Zeus and Mount Olympus. She was done with Mount Olympus and the betrayal of the Olympians. Demeter now went to the towns and fields of men. She did not want to be known. She did not keep up appearances. She walked around incognito, dirty and dusty, in the guise of an old woman, and no one recognized her. Anyway, mortals often have trouble recognizing the gods. Angry by turns and grief-stricken, she came to the city of Eleusis and sat down by the well on a shady place on the outskirts of the city. There was something about her, despite her uh, disheveled and ancient appearance, a dignity or a beauty or something. People came to the well to fill up their urns and pots, and no one really even looked her way until the four daughters of the local king, Kelos, came to draw water. They were unwittingly drawn to her, and the eldest walked up to Demeter, who was sitting there quiet with her veil drawn over her face, and said, Excuse me, dear old mother, but you look as if you have some trouble. Who are you, and where are you from? 
Why are you sitting here all alone? You would surely find welcome in one of the great houses of our city. The goddess Demeter said, Well, girl, since you've asked, I will tell you my story most truly. My name is Doso, and I am from Crete, far away over the seas. I did not come here willingly, but was seized by pirates. We were at sea for many days, and when they finally put ashore, they were looking for food and entertainment and all of this commotion. I managed to escape, and I have walked many a long day to get here to this cool spot. But I do not know where I am. Eleusis is the name of our city, said the girls, and our father is King Kelos. That is very bad fortune for you. Surely the gods put us wherever they will. But you can make a life here. This is a fine city, with many great households that would welcome you. Well, said Demeter, I do have some skills that could be useful. I can keep house, and, well, actually, I am quite good with children. Our mother has just had a baby, the eldest daughter said. He came after a long wait and many prayers, and our baby brother is the joy of the palace. He will be a prince, and the woman who raises him will be the envy of all other women. Why don't you come and talk to our mother, Queen Metanara, about being his nurse? The girls were thrilled at the prospect of solving this problem for their mother, and Demeter agreed to come with them. When they arrived at the palace, they went straight to Queen Metanara's room. And as soon as Demeter arrived at her door and stepped over the threshold, the room was filled with a radiant light. And a soft fragrance floated on the air. And the queen was suddenly filled with awe. She got up from her soft couch and offered the old woman a seat. But Demeter simply stood silently in the middle of the room, her veil drawn up over her face. Her grief was so palpable, it was like a physical weight, and the atmosphere got heavy and solemn. Everyone stood there at a loss in the silence. And then the queen's old nurse, Iambi, who was the salt of the earth, came forward. Iambi was long past, child-bearing years, scrawny and pot-bellied and bent, bent over. But she knew what to do. She pulled up a low stool and covered it with a soft lamb's wool, and Demeter gracefully sunk down into it. She sat there in silence for a long, long time, gazing down at her hands, her veil still covering her face. And Iambi took charge again. She came over to the goddess and stood in front of her and danced a little jig. She then began to move her hips suggestively (laughs) in a slightly more salacious dance. She sang a dirty little song and leaned in close to the goddess and whispered 
a joke into her ear. Some much more ribald, they say, than the song. And the goddess smiled. And then she laughed. And all was suddenly well. The baby boy, Demophon, was brought in, and he immediately nestled into the arms of the goddess in total contentment. And from that day after, Demeter looked after the little prince. His mother no longer fed him, and Demeter didn't either. She gave him ambrosia, and his parents marveled at his beauty and rapid development. Demeter knew that the boy would be great because she herself had nursed him. But she decided to make Demophon immortal as well. And this required putting him into the fire every night like a stick of wood. One night, Queen Metanara couldn't sleep. And she thought that the sight of her son might calm her. So she quietly made her way to the door opened it a crack, and peeked inside. And at that moment, Demeter had Demophon laying there in the fire like a log. Well, his mother, the queen, let out a shriek and ran into the room. What are you doing, she cried. And Demeter whirled around and said, Unknowing mortals, you don't know whether good or evil approaches. She assumed her full, radiant goddess countenance. Her long golden hair flowed over her shoulders. Her gown shone brightly. She was beautiful, an old woman no more. And the queen cowered at the door in fear. Demeter picked up her baby and thrust it at the other woman. I am the great goddess Demeter, the giver of all good gifts, she said. What, 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 uh, what, how, how can I... Make this right, stuttered the queen. And Demeter said, You will build me a temple here in your city, according to my specifications. Rites will be performed, and then I will be satisfied. The people of Eleusis built Demeter's temple. And when it was done, the goddess retired inside. And she retired completely. She withdrew every bit of her energy from the earth. She did not make the earth fertile anymore. She did not rain down her abundance. She did not give any good gifts. The goddess Demeter gave herself over to her grief for Persephone, the daughter she had lost. Well, back up on Olympus, the other gods were not too happy about this. As the earth slowly became dry and brown, the humans and all other life began to starve. They were hungry, and so they, they didn't have any offerings to make for those gods up on Olympus. And the Olympians, they missed the sweet smell of burning meat and wine. Zeus sent a message down to Demeter and asked her to come back to Mount Olympus and get back to work, restore the fertility of the earth. But she refused. The Olympians pressed Zeus. You've got to solve this problem, they said. And anyway, everyone knows about the strength of that bond between this mother and daughter. And, well, so Zeus agreed to get Persephone back on the one condition 
that she hadn't eaten anything while she was in the underworld. Zeus sent Hermes down to talk to Hades. Hermes, the trickster and messenger of the gods, he can pass freely over all of the boundaries that separate the realms. Well, down in the underworld, Hades felt the oncoming presence of Hermes. Like his brother Zeus, he had an omniscient vision. He was sitting in the throne room with the queen Persephone, for he had made her queen, and reached over her and took her hand and squeezed it. You know that I love you, he said. And it hasn't been all bad down here, has it? Persephone had cried and cried and cried and wept and screamed for days when she first got down to the underworld, but that had stopped. It hasn't been all bad, has it? Hades asked her again. Now I notice, my dear, my love, that you have not eaten since you got down here. Maybe this will tempt you. And he handed her a pomegranate. Persephone took it and turned it over in her hands. Later on, when she was in her room alone, she took it out and cut it open. She examined the plump, sweet seeds and ate just a few. When Hermes came down to the underworld then, he told Hades, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to give Persephone back. Her mother needs her, and as it turns out, all of the rest of us need her mother. And Hades reluctantly turned Persephone over. Well, she was overjoyed at the prospect of seeing her mother. And when they arrived on Olympus, the joy was indescribable. Mother and daughter fell into each other's arms, laughing and crying. It was a very blissful reunion. But Demeter suddenly had a few misgivings. She pulled back and looked her daughter in the eyes and asked, Did you eat anything while you were in the underworld? Because if you did, you cannot stay here with me all the time. And Persephone said, Mother, I tell you truly, when Hermes came, I was so excited at the news, I missed you so much. I sprang up for joy. And yet, yes, Hades gave me a pomegranate, and I did eat a few of those sweet seeds. And so it is that Persephone must spend four months of every year in the underworld, and during that time, Demeter retires in grief. This is the time that we mortals call winter. These old stories that invoke the seasons often feel trivial to us, but that's because we are disconnected from their significance and their necessity, necessity to our own lives. This story also speaks to us about other forms of winter, other forms of winter and rebirth. This, I believe, was the message of Eleusis. So may the story stay with you through this season and beyond, friends. In the words of Seneca, there are holy things that are not communicated all at once. Ulysses always keeps something back to show those who come again. 
And that's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. I am very grateful for you sharing this story around, telling people about Myth in the Mojave, sending people to the Facebook page. And if you're finding something of value here, maybe you'll join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the programs archived there, as well as free downloads of everything new that I create. You are also providing essential financial support to make future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy mythmaking and keep the mystery in your life alive.